When looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Well, excuse me! Looking for good ideas for life? You're far from good hands. Hey, bud, what's your problem? If you think the listener is always right, you're far from the right place. Out of order! Even in the future, nothing works! Hosted by a Northeasterner by birth, but a rebel by choice. Are you threatening me? If you want a host that floats between love and madness, and we know the night is always gonna be here anyway. Thinking of you's working up my appetite, looking forward to a little afternoon delight. Then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. All right, guys, uh, listen to the blues riff and B. Watch me for the changes and try and keep up, okay? Warning, creators of this game do understand the subject matter may be offensive to some, but they do honor the families and people that have been affected by these real-life tragedies that these individuals have caused. Wanna play a game? Oh yeah! Lover of true crime? Yes, yes, yes. Well, we got an interesting game for you to check out. Wow. With the mashup of influences such as horror movies, collecting cards, and RPGs. What? Led to giving birth to an incredible creation of this game. Killers, the card game. You are all my children now. This game is a collectible trading card game featuring some of the most infamous killers with tidbits of trivia on the back of each card to help you learn some insight to each criminal. Who the hell are you? Let's not forget, during the game, cops will be chasing you and these criminals. I'm a cop, you idiot! However, check out their website listed through all social media today, which can be found under Killers, the card game. Am I on the internet? I want to play a game. Hey everybody, this is your old pal Buddy Jewel and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio. Kiss me each morning for a million years Hold me each evening by your side Hey folks, it's your least favorite host in the podcast world, Croc, Jonathan Steele. Boy, do we have a good one for you today. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, this next guest is a multiple-time award winner from multiple different 
award ceremonies. He's also topped Billboard Top Country Album Charts and certified gold the same year thanks to two back-to-back top five hits, Sweet Southern Comfort and Help Pour Out the Rain. And obviously, we are celebrating the re-release of Sweet Southern Comfort. And so, with that all being said, let's go ahead and welcome Mr. Buddy Jewel. Buddy, how you doing? Man, I'm doing great. How are you? Uh, another day in paradise, but I won't say who I'm quoting there within the country field, but uh, I know who it is. <laughs> I know the guy. Uh, I think he plays piano last I checked. I don't know. Yeah, you know what? I uh, Funny stories. Phil and I knew each other way before either one of us got a record deal. I used to play at a place with him called Sam's Place, and he did the late night thing, and I played the, the an hour or so before he did. And so we know each other for a long time. Is this all right? I gotta ask. Well, two things with that, and hate, you know, rubbing it in with some people I've gotten to know and all. But was this a before he uh, got the shorter haircut, and was Sam's his place? Uh, Sam's was not his place. Uh, I don't think Phil had r- really long hair. With when I, I met, this was back in like the oh gosh, early to mid nineties. And so okay. his hair is fairly short. It might, it might be it's probably shorter now than it was then. Yeah, I come to yeah. think of it. Because yeah. somebody was telling me, and I'm I keep poking fun at the bear there. There was a rumor about him that uh, there may have been a time with a mullet. So, well, I, I've tried to keep a tradition myself. I don't know about him. You know. <laughs> yeah. Now I know he hasn't, but I'm dying to see a picture of that. But yeah, that would know, be cool. I, well, yeah. Let's see if we can tear one up for you. Oh yeah, that's for sure. I, and it's like I know, yeah, I never had a mole. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Liar! If you've ever been accused of lying through your tooth, it's like you, you fibber. <laughs> so, the new project is Sweet Southern Comfort, and the title track as well. There was a rumor and innuendo because everything is true on the internet, as sure. I like to joke. There's a, a couple other known quote-unquote known folks to country listeners on there such clint black and others so what can you talk about with the single but the project in general well i i am putting an album together i'm not sure what what we're going to call it yet so i guess they're calling it sweet southern comfort for right now probably not a bad idea um this is a 20-year anniversary of me winning the first season of national star it's also 20 years since uh, my first hit help pour out the rain Lacey's song and sweet southern comfort came out what is today well it came uh gosh we're pretty close to the recording it's the 17th it literally came out 20 years ago today on the 17th of October, uh, 2003. And obviously it was a was big Was that help pour out the rain or you're no, talking? No, that was Southern Comfort came out today, 20 years ago. I didn't, oh, I nice. didn't know what today was. That's cool. Um, but yeah, so it made sense since Clint produced the first album, uh, which I wish they'd let him produce the next one as well. But that's another story. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, I, I was, it made you know, a lot of sense for me to call him up and say, hey, man, I'm, this is what I'm doing. And he he loved it and said, man, whatever I can do. Well, he's always been a great friend to me ever since we met on the show. And uh, so I got him involved. And then I've, I've always been a huge fan of Marty Raven and Shenandoah. And um, I had some friends that were, were that you know, and I've, I've known Marty. I've met him a t- time or two, worked on some stuff with him. But a friend of mine that produced my last record, Mitchell Brown, who also plays bass for me, 
was good friends with the band. And, and so he got in touch with uh, Marty and, and Marty said, yeah, be, I'd love to do this. Again. Alabama guy said so he loves the roll tide roll thing in it. And then I, I just opened a show for the Bellamy's and got to spend some time with Howard and David after the show, right, right about the time we were trying to put this project together. And I texted David and asked him if they would help me out. And he, they said, sure. So that's, that's how it all came to be. But I'm really excited about it. We're working on, uh, I'm trying to write some new stuff for the record. I got a few things in the can. We got a couple of things recorded already. And of course, the 2023 uh, 2.0 version of Sweet Southern Comfort with all those guys on it is going to be on the record. Well, before I continue, I'm going to put that the 2023 version in right here. All right. Misty sunrise in my hometown Rose of cotton bought me high Mrs. Baker down the dirt road Still got clothes out on the line Erwin Nichols there with Judge Lee Playing checkers at the gin When I dream about the Southland This is where it all begins From Carolina down Georgia, smell the jasmine and magnolia, sleepy sweet home, Alabama, roll tide roll, muddy water, Mississippi, blessed Graceland whispers to me, carry on, carry on, sweet southern comfort, carry on. Catching catfish on the river Chasing fireflies by the creek Kissing Gary Williams' sister On the porch homecoming week With rusty cars and weeping willows Keeping watch out in the yard Just a snapshot of down-home Dixie Could be anywhere you are In Carolina or in Georgia Open arms Carry on, carry on, sweet. 
carry on Coming out of that, and there's a lot to unpack there. Maybe this is the behind-the-scenes nerd in me. But you mentioned about, obviously, Clint being involved when you talked to him again and known him since the show and the Bellamy's and, you know, all these, Shenandoah and just everybody that you have contacts and all. It's always been not... For me, anyway, and somebody told me this, and it made perfect sense. It's not who you know. It's who you know willing to say they know you. <laughs> well, you know what, man? I uh, That's a funny that you say that. It, it dawned on me a couple of months ago. Uh, the song just went to number one on Cashbox uh, back in uh, mid to late August, something like that, on the independent music chart. And um, But it dawned on me about that time that, you know, those – uh, it, it, the, the little voice in my head said, buddy, you know, you haven't thought about this. Those guys must really like you a lot or they wouldn't be willing to put their name on something unless they yeah. believed in you, thought a lot of you. And that that means a lot to me, especially it, with these guys. They're all legends, you know. Exactly. And it's funny. I've had similar things when I've done like charity events and things with this outlet. And, you know, people I wouldn't expect to not only put their name behind something, but whether they could donate money or do this, do that, whatever, whether it was cancer or children's hospital, whatever the case is, but that behind the scenes and trust me, that stuff's much appreciated. It means the world that they're to have other support, but the behind the scenes question I was going to ask when you normally have other people or you would like to have other people involved. And like you Mm -hmm. said, there was a couple of folks there that you reached out to directly. Is that usually the normal protocol, because I remember hearing, uh, who was it? It was, it was Garth Brooks when he was getting a, and he was either inducted into the Country Hall of Fame or the Kennedy Center Honors. And uh-huh. obviously, Garth is tippy top of his generation and all that stuff. Really? And everybody loves him as a person and musician and all that stuff. But he didn't want to he felt embarrassed to make phone calls, you know, like, cause they, you know, whoever it was honoring, I can't remember which it was. Hey, well, do you think you could get James Taylor? You get this one, that one, you know, everybody was kicking around Garth and everybody was kicking around ideas, but he didn't want to pick up the phone. He felt embarrassed to, even though. Yeah. I, I felt the same way, man. I I'm like, it's it's like uh, you know what my mom used to call it tooting your own horn, you know. Uh, I'd rather somebody go out and tell somebody how great they think I am than me try to tell everybody how great I think I might be or whatever. And it is it's it's kind of it is it's embarrassing. I and, and Garth probably has that shy side of him that I do too. It's you know when something like that it's just it's it's kind of intimate and. Um, you know, and you know these people, and, and and you spent you know time around stuff like that. But it's to come and ask them for a, a big favor like that is just—it's really hard to do from an artist standpoint. At least it is for me, and apparently it's your daughter. You know? Yeah, and that's what I was going to get at. Do you? Would you rather have somebody else make a call for you, like say a 
record manager or Bev from who's your PR person make the call or whatever. Because to end that story with Garth, it ended up being Trisha Yearwood, his wife, to she <laughs> shut up, shut up, knucklehead kind of deal. And I'm being nice about that. That the version I heard. <laughs> she would get his phone and go, I'll, I'll call George Street. I'll call, you know, yeah, that's uh, Mr. awesome. Taylor. Uh, of course, obviously, it was like everybody was like, yes, we'll be glad to help. But why wouldn't he pick up the phone himself and just say, hey, you know what I mean? So it's like you said, there's that shyness and everything else with it. Hey, yeah, if I had the choice of me calling or Trish, I'd want her to call, too. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. And I'm willing to bet that she uh, bribed him with her cooking. But that's a whole another story. So <laughs> quite possibly. So. With that being said, you've been going hard for 20 years and everything and been recognized for Grammys, ACM, CMA, ABC Radio Networks, just everything across the way between nominations and awards. Right. Does that ever get old when they uh, tip it a hat to you? Uh, no, um, especially those... Um... You know, the, the ABC Radio Networks thing really meant a lot to me because that was, a, from what I understand, a fan kind of thing. And not that the industry awards don't matter because they do. I mean, that's your peers, you know, saying they approve of you. But, I mean, if you're looking at a guy, I was elected to my record deal. You know, National Star America voted for me. And uh, so I'll always owe it to the fans, first and foremost, because um, really, if it hadn't been for them, that television show, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be here talking to you. Well, that's interesting because obviously that's now kind of the norm, whether you have, and I know Nashville Sound's not around anymore, but you have The Voice, you have a new incarnation of American Idol and you know, all these different types of shows. Do you think that's just for more of a, at this point in 2023, a cosmetic thing where they, oh, you look good, do this. Yeah, you got talent, but they look at other things where... Back in the day, you would have, oh, somebody has talent that we're just going to run with whatever their talent is, if that makes sense. No, no that's a great question. Um, first of all, I I very seldom have watched any of, of those shows. Um, you know, America's Got Talent's a, another one, and they've got some, and when I've watched them, there's some really talented people on there. You know, I've, I've seen a few episodes of The Voice here and there. I can't tell you the last time I watched it, nor American Idol. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm generally too busy. I, I've watched very little TV, to be honest, unless it's pro football. I watch a lot of that because I, I, I save up all year so I can watch that. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, that's, I think that's one of the things that, that, uh, that killed Nashville star. They went from, went away from, Hey, we're going to leave this in the hands of, of the, the voting public. And no matter what the person looks like, they're voting on their talent. And, uh, they're toward the end. They, uh, I think they had a casting director involved and stuff like that. And, and, and I'm pretty sure that behind the scenes, some of these people maybe already had deals in place if they won. And, and it, there was nothing like that going on with that with Nashville star. I mean, look, well, look at Miranda. She came in third the year that I won. Um, they came to me after the show and they, then they probably had designs on her, you know, pretty early on. But they haven't they hadn't signed her yet. And they came to me when Clint and I were making the record and said, Hey, would you do us a favor and and um and, and uh, do a, a a a duet with Miranda on your record so we can we're gonna sign her, but we wanna kinda keep her name out there in the public 
view. And so would you do this? And I'm like, sure, absolutely. So even she didn't have, you know, uh, anything on paper, you know, back then. Nowadays, I think it's probably more the the rule than the exception that something's going on behind the scenes. Yeah, exactly. And with that being said, you know, so you win the competition and everything. And how much of a shell shock is that for you? Where it's like, now it's like, all right, you need a PR person. You probably should have a lawyer look over this, this, you know, just all the minute details that people don't think about. So was that a shell shock to you? Uh, you know, I've been kind of prepared a, a little bit. Michael Peterson and I were friends prior to the show. I did a lot of studio work for guys like Larry Stewart from Restless Heart and and Colin Ray and Laurie White and uh, some of the other artists, uh, Aaron Tippett. I even did a bunch of demos for Randy Travis, although I never talked to him. So I kind of had a little bit of an idea of what might happen. But, man, I you know, it was immediately I, I, the show ended on Saturday, May the 3rd, May the 5th. The single went out. And we were getting calls, you know, wanting to book me immediately. And I didn't have a business manager, a personal manager, an agent, none of that stuff. Uh, you know, luckily, you no, know, Sony was handling the PR and, and the marketing and everything like that. So something I didn't have to worry about. And I was going to be, you know, I, whoever won was going to be on their label. So that part was taken care of. But have, but just the trying to go, gosh, what I do about an agent. Um, luckily for me at the time. Um, the, where I went to church, the pastor there, his wife worked for the gospel division of William Morris. And I went to her and I said, Suzanne, I said, I, I, what I do, do I call you guys? Do you call me? (laughs) You know? And she said, she said, well, let me talk to Rick ship was the head of the, of, uh, of William Morris at the time. And and she's, let me talk to Rick ship. And and so I wound up getting a call from Rick. Um, and so they took over the, you know, the booking thing maybe pretty quickly. But yeah, you just things like that just coming from out of nowhere. You know, you go from one day being able to walk into the Walmart or whatever, and you're just another guy in there. And and then the next day you go in and there's people falling around all over the store. You know, I, I remember the kids going, Dad, I, there's a lady who's been following us for the last three aisles. You know, it's, I think she knows who you are. And uh, which is a cool thing. I mean, that, that you, you're you're in the music business today because you you have you have to have an ego or you wouldn't be here, and so that feeds the ego. But yeah, just a lot of things that you just don't consider until it starts happening. And I think you know, Clint Black uh, gave me probably the best advice. Um, he said, "Man, just he said, be sure to relish every day. Take time out, just five minutes, and kind of step back and realize what's going on around you." Because these things are coming at you so fast, it's like trying to step on a bullet train that's going 100 mile an hour. You know, you go from from zero to 100 mile an hour just like that. So it's exactly it, it was um, yeah, it, it was a challenge that's for sure. Yeah, because there's also and I heard somebody else talking about about it. I think it was on uh, Howard Stern one time, musician, and they were talking about the shot, like you said, bullet train, everything coming 100 miles an hour and all, but it's like. Then you, when you're looking for the agents and the people and PR and just all the different aspects, your lawyers and all, there's the ones that genuinely care about you as a person and mm-hmm. look out for you. But then you get the others that are, what can I get from them now? Them, you know, the, the, not to say corrupt, but there's those, you know what I mean? It's more about them instead of who they're working with. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's good that you had somebody that, understood the process you know your pastor's wife and said hold on yeah. i got you 
all that fun stuff. Yeah, and along the same lines, Tracy Gershon, who was one of the judges on the show, and she was, you know, A&R with, with Sony. Um, I'd known, I'd known uh, Tracy years before when she worked for an independent label. They tried to sign me, and then the label closed before I got the deal. And uh, in fact, when I when I was auditioning for the show and I found out she was a judge, I went to the producers and said, I don't think I don't think I can be on your show because I know Tracy. And they said, well, actually, Tracy just told us all about that deal and, and we're fine. You know, you're, you're good to go. But uh, she was great at, at helping me, you know, find management and um, and stuff like that. So I, I did have people lean on them. So and she did. She genuinely cared about me and, and, and wanted to see me do well. So she put with some good folks. Yes. Uh, you mentioned there about uh, folks noticing you say at the Walmart and whatnot or going about your daily, you know, business, you because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, we all put our pants on the same and, you know, all that the basic stuff. Yeah. So I'm curious, you know, do you have a funny, I'm sure in 20 years it's happened. Do you have a good or funny fan encounter that people may recognize you? Cause there's stories from talking to people on and off air that are just hilarious. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a funny one. At the, uh, when I met Gart, um, we were at George Jones's funeral, and I never met Garth, and I was, was friends with George. My wife and Nancy were really good friends. That's actually how I got to know George. And so after the funeral was over, uh, all the artists in, that were then in the uh, I don't want I guess I'm gonna call it the congregation because it was a, 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 a religious service as far as i was concerned uh we all headed backstage at the opry house and um and i knew vince of gill who vince sang go rest town that mountain um vince had the same manager i'd worked with him and patty lovis and i, I see them i go to say hi to him and vince had kind of had a tough time with him and george were really really good friends and he yeah. had a tough time getting through the the song as you know you can see if you watch the video but then I saw Gar stand over there. And I thought, oh, man, I've, I've never met him. I'd like to meet him. And um, I, I thought, man, you, you can't do this at George's funeral. And then it's like I hear George in my head going, boy, get your ass over there and say hi to him. you know. <laughs> and so I went and introduced myself to Garth. And he looked at me and he had this look on his face. And, he's, and he, so he, he starts hitting me in his chest. He goes, you're that guy. You're that guy. Like I'm like, wow, dumb me. I thought maybe he'd see me on Nashville star that I, and I don't know, I haven't had a chance to talk to him since then, but what had happened was, is uh, back when he was retired and wasn't touring, they did uh country's greatest 100 greatest love songs. And uh, this is back, you know, when I was hot uh, a year or so after the show, and they came to me and said, CMT said, we want you to be on the show, but we want you to sing unanswered prayers. And I said, man, I said, me trying to cover Garth is like trying to cover Elvis, you know, just, you know, and, and I said, can I do something else? They said, no, if you want to be on the show, you got to do the song. And so I did. And so I'm assuming that that's what Garth was talking about, that he had seen me on the show and I was the guy that sang his song. Um, okay. But I, there's been a lot of other, you know, interesting things. Uh, things that have happened to me but that's uh one of the more memorable and funny ones as far as i can remember yeah because the one that stood out in my head was uh and i'm sure you're familiar with him jeff foxworthy the comedian yeah yeah not to get too sideways the story he likes to tell is he was on it at the time his girls were in like junior high or high school or whatever and they did a trip to, field trip to uh dc and uh-huh. so they were hurrying to get back on the bus, but they had 
what wanted to buy some souvenirs and stuff, you know, because the kids had their own money and whatnot in this group right. that Jeff was supervising. So Jeff says, Hey, get to the bus. I'll give me your stuff. I'll just pay for it and whatever. We'll figure it out later. Right. So, you know, it goes, Jeff goes through line and whatnot. Girl looks up and goes, they were, it was like at their peak of blue collar and all, whatever at the time. Mm-hmm. Girl looks up, Hey, how you doing? You know, you look familiar. Really? Okay. And you know, I get that once in a while, you know, brings up the stuff. It's, Seventy-five, fifty, whatever the case was. Okay, <laughs> so he, he reaches his wallet. He's reaching for his wallet to get his credit card or whatever. And she goes, "You know what? You looked like that Jeff Foxworthy guy." Oh yeah, I, you know he's trying to blight it off. Yeah, I get yep. that once in a while. Hands the credit card over, and she goes, looks at it, goes, "How funny! You got the same name as him too." <laughs> I didn't think much. Like she still didn't put two or two together, and she goes, "He goes, you know, after he rings, I guess, yeah, I am, you know." Like it was That's still, hilarious. you look like him. Oh, you have similar yeah. name to him. You know, then. That is so funny. Yeah. yeah. But it's funny to hear that kind of stuff, you know, that out in every day. But obviously you mentioned Mr. Jones's service at the Grand Old Opry. Mm-hmm. And speaking of emotional is you had a touching ode to your father when I'm good and gone that received Grammy yeah. consideration and all for Ricky Skaggs and Sharon White. So what mm-hmm. was that like for you to have something like that that was a personal story be well-recognized? Well, it, it um, I can't put a value on that. It was, um, the way the song was written, um, I'd gone, my dad, he was sick, but I didn't know, we didn't know we were going to lose him. And I'd gone back to Arkansas, spent some time with him, and, and he was laid in bed. He had my grandmother's old King James Bible on his lap, and it was all beat up. My granny, Jewel, she had, she was a great Christian lady. She had read the Bible through cover to cover like over 30 times. I mean, and just knew it back front to back. And so the, the cover was all tattered and torn. And my dad and I were talking about, you know, what what people say about you when you're gone, your legacy. And I came back to Nashville, and I sat down with my friend Leslie Satcher and and um, I told her the story of that conversation about the old Bible and we wrote it. And then two weeks later, my dad died and he never got to hear it. So it's always been really special to me. I, I love the song because it, you know, it was written about the conversation I had with dad. It, uh, it takes on a whole uh, new life, just like help out the rain did. You know, I, when people hear me do that song in concert and I, and you see people wiping their eyes and, and bowing their heads because they don't, people see them around them, see them crying and stuff. And um, so that's as a, as a songwriter, you know, you dream of being able to move people emotionally like that. And so it's a huge compliment to me when someone comes after, up after the show or whatever and says, Hey, you got me with that song about your dad, man. I, you know, I've had people have to you know get up and walk out of, of the, the audience, you know, so that the habit recognized, you know, and, and be nominated was uh, an, an absolute, you know, that's a, that's a dream. I'm mean, the, the only thing I haven't done really is to, to win a Grammy and, and I'm still breathing. So I still got a chance, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you still got that, like they say in boxing, you still got that puncher's chance. So, yeah. Well, obviously we've mentioned it. Help pour out the rain, Lacey's song. Well, actually, before I get to that, I want to acknowledge because you actually covered one of my favorite songs of all time. Yeah. And that was, then you can tell me goodbye by the casinos. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah that's one of mine. You know, I'm a 
big music nerd and I I have stuff from doo-wop to current. The only thing I don't have is gospel or rap. But like I got such like just on the one hard drive right here, I have at least twenty-two thousand songs. So wow. Um wow. I almost forgot, but I wanted to acknowledge, you know, then you could tell me goodbye. And that's been covered by multiple people through the several generations and such. So yeah. and the story was there a special that, meeting behind that? Yeah, there is. Uh, I always loved the song, you know, from from when I was a kid. And um it, it was originally when on National Star, we did an album before the show ever came out. Each one of the finalists, the 12 finalists, cut a song for the album. It was all, you know, covers of, of hit songs. And that song was originally on the list of things that they had the clearance on the show to do. And so in between the time, they um, um, for some reason, the song wasn't on the list. And I and I went to say, hey, this is what I want. They said, well, you can't cut that one. It's it's, it's it, we can't get the the licensing or whatever. And I said, well, hang on just a second. Luckily for me, I, I spent ten years in Nashville as a studio singer, and, and I worked a lot for J.D. Loudermix Milk's son, Mike, who worked with Crystal, Crystal Gale for a long time. And I and I knew that J.D. had written the song, and and I called Mike up and said, hey, here's what's going on. I'm wanting to do this TV show and this record. They're telling me they can't get clearance for for the the song for this album. He said, he said, well, let me talk to Dad. And he calls me back about 10, 15 minutes later and says, hey, you're good to go. Tell him, you know, if we need to call somebody, write a, a, send an email or whatever, but you're good to cut it. And that's how it wound up being. Uh, you know, that's how I wound up doing it. And I love that song. In fact, I, I kick myself. Every now and then I think, God, I should have my band learn that and do it live. And so that, that's another consideration. Maybe I'll put that on this new record as well, a, a, my own version of it. Um, I think that'd be cool. So thanks for bringing that up. Of course. And your singing voice and the way you do everything, it was really a good fit for that song. And it, you know, the version I know, like you said, that album, all that stuff, it worked because it, I think it's a two-parter. It's got to have a good song, but you got to have the right artist to do that, you know, and it worked for you. Yes, sir. Yeah. But help pour out the Rain Lacey song. Obviously, when people mention your name, they think of that song. And I know you probably told this story before, but what's the background with that particular song? It's essentially a true story. Um when Lacey was three, I was taking her to a, a, a Mount Juliet, the home of Charlie Daniels, uh, to uh, a lady named Miss Kay that did in-home daycare. My wife did uh, these sculptured nails that all the ladies like to wear, you know. And in fact, she made more money than I did. And I was seeing demos. But we were taking, I was taking her, Lacey out to Miss Kay's. And on the way there, we got this conversation about Jesus in heaven. And she literally said, this little three-year-old in the car seat in the back goes, I, I don't think I want to go to heaven, Daddy. And and I kind of laughed and I said, well, you, you ought to think about that again, because I hear the other place doesn't have air conditioning, you know. And she got real quiet and she thought about it for a little bit. And then the next thing she says is, well, Daddy, if I go to heaven, will God let me help pour out the rain? And I thought, oh, that's really sweet. I remember telling my wife about it and everything. But the songwriter in me didn't kick in until several months later. And it was like the middle of the night. I couldn't sleep. I'd learned to get up and write when you get an idea, no matter what time of day it is, even if you're going to, you're going to be tired because I've had some really great ideas that I thought I remember in the morning, I wake up and I cannot remember a thing. 
and so fortunately I, I, I had that, uh, I, that, that moment came back to me and this melody started developing and I got up and I wrote the song. Nice. And I'm not a religious person, but when you say that and the, you know, she, she's asking you these questions and all that, what's the old expression from the mouth, mouth of babes mouth or babe. out, out of the mouth of babes. Yeah. Kids will say the darndest thing, but you go, it makes you think you go, wow. At the time, Lacey was three. You're looking at her going, a three. It's amazing how bright they are and they don't realize the yeah, stuff they give us. Kidding. Yeah. And I, you know, and I, I, I tell folks all the time, I, that t- to me was a God thing. I'm not smart enough to think that up. And, um, but I, you know, it was just something I mean, and, and it just was a thing I'd been within about an hour and a half. I had it written down. The majority of the song was finished. I went back. It took from like 1996 up until gosh, probably 2000 before I literally got it to the version that you hear on the record, the radio. But, um, you know, and, and it just like the song about my dad, I have people immediately that was, um, when I sang it on the show, Nashville star, you know, we were sequestered. It was like Big Brother meets Survivor meets uh, American Idol. You know, they had us sequestered this big house on Music Row. So you couldn't go home and, and, and stay with your family. You had to stay in the house every night for, for the nine weeks you were on the show. And my wife called me and she said, this is nuts. She said, the, your song is going just, the people are going crazy about it. She was getting, you know, tens of thousands of emails and messages. They would crash our little website. We were paying for it by the bandwidth. And then, you know, she'd get it running again and back down, up again, down again. And I don't know how many, but literally tens of thousands of messages and emails we got. But it turned out that the song um, really struck a, a, a nerve, so to speak, with people who had lost somebody. And in particular, people who had families that had lost children. Um, and so still 20 years later, no matter where I go, I have people come up and talk to me about, you know, we played that song at my daughter's funeral when she was two or whatever. It's, it's heartbreaking. So it's for me, it's bittersweet. You know, it's a, it was a huge hit song. But to know some of the emotions that were tied into it, you know, makes it kind of tough on me. But then I realized that for me, it's a it's a part of the healing press process that God's allowed to happen for these folks to help get them through. Uh, a portion of that time uh, when they're mourning and and I hear that time and time and time again from people that it's you know it's really helped them to get through so I, I got to be grateful for that so I guess you already answered what I was thinking for my last question and that being because you mentioned about writing a song for your dad and stuff but your legacy what do you think when people obviously you're still with the puncher's chances we joked a couple minutes ago yeah. but what do you think your legacy is both personally and professionally well you know um i i, I doubt very seriously that uh that i'm gonna be remembered like somebody like a oh i'm like a johnny cash or a waylon jennings you know i've, I've never achieved that amount of popularity and in a way, that's been a blessing to me because, you know, to whom much is given, much is required. I believe that says that in the Bible. Um, I've heard that one before. I, yeah, I just want, um, I want to, the legacy I want to leave behind me is, really has nothing to do with the music. Um, I want people to remember me as someone who was kind and who cared about other people and um, 
who was a joy to be around and somebody that uh, that they could count on as a friend and, and a, a father and a husband and as a Christian man. So that's it means more to be remembered like that than any amount of gold records or success, you know, um, on radio or or selling records could ever mean to me. Do you think it's the same thing with like your kids and your wife and all that they'll be like, Hey, you know what? Dad was a good man and tried to be a good man. I, uh, being very honest with you, there was a time in my life and I was, I was neither. I was a horrible person, husband, father, you name it. And, um, but you know, I've God's helped me turn my life around and, uh, and, that I've been, I've been this version of me for a long time now. And I hope that's what people remember me as and my special. Yeah, and family. Well, that's, I think that's the point. Cause it's a, and I think of the Ali Colleen song and it, she has a song called work in progress and it was a work in progress to get to be the man that you are sitting here at three thirty-five on the East coast on October 17th. So it was certainly a work in progress to get to be your best version of yourself. So yeah, still working on it for sure. Well, we all do. So buddy, Jewel, thank you so much. Brother, thank you for having me on and thanks for being a blessing to me. You're welcome, sir. Kiss me each morning for a million me each evening by your side Tell me you love me for a million years Hey there, Friday fans. We know how much you enjoy the movies. Enjoy grabbing your Friday merchandise and interacting with the Friday family whether it be at conventions or during our particular watch-alongs. Well, when you're looking to get yourself masks, why not check out our friends over at Camp Blood Customs out of New York State and order your specific custom mask from any of the films. All orders are made specifically your needs and wants are. Make sure you find Camp Blood Customs on Facebook, Instagram, and all over social media and order yours today. Hey everybody, this is Brooke Fees, your favorite bug girl from Nightmare on Elm Street 4 and you are listening to Crazy Train Radio. 